Many of you do not know it, but a very dear friend of ours, John Bolton, died this week. And yesterday, his funeral service and committal were held in Gloucester, Massachusetts. I called uh, uh, one of our sons, Frank, who is up there, and asked him to be sure and go all the way with John out to the service. John gave me this Bible, and in it he put an inscription, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them. John loved the Psalms. And he would point out quickly that the 102nd Psalm is a prayer. And he would point out how the psalmist here cries out in his great distress. And then immediately John would point out that the 103rd Psalm is a psalm of praise, where there is no petition but simply praise and thanks to God for his blessing. So I'm reading, by the way, this is a Scopeel Bible. I hope that doesn't upset anyone. It sure has blessed me. Um, it's the 103rd Psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us, as a father pitieth his children. So the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon those who fear him and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Uh, the National Thanksgiving 
uh, has, of course, been a part of American tradition. All of us know that our pilgrim forebearers, those pilgrims, and they called them, been in Holland for a considerable and the Puritans did not wish their children raised in that atmosphere. And so when they were able to find people in London who would finance a colony in a new world where they could come and worship God after the dictates of their own conscience, they did just that. And when they landed in 16 and 20 on the rocky coasts of New England, up there close to where John was buried, uh, a, it was a terrible ordeal for them uh, to go through a severe winter. They had landed in September and they had a long, cold, bitter winter to go through. And then in the summertime when the Indians told them that when the leaves on the trees were about the size of a mouse's ear, uh, that they could take a, a fish and bury it with their seed corn. Then those people who had been so hungry that they had actually rationed themselves out at some meals with even five grains of corn apiece. And there's no tradition that they used before they had their feast of thanksgiving to put five grains of corn on an, on an empty plate in order that they might remember how God had protected and led them through the direst times of distress and trouble so that they would not forget. Uh, we, and then of course, uh, that uh, was kept up as a tradition. I remember reading once of a college chaplain who spoke to a student about giving his heart to Christ. And the student replied with these words which are well worth remembering. He said, religion for my grandfather was an experience. For my father, it was a tradition. To me, it is a nuisance. Now that's what happens when your faith in God is not an experience. We need the experience of being thankful and grateful to God for the gifts that he has given to us. That means recalling and not forgetting what he has done. John Bolton, of whom uh, I've been speaking, John was a great lover of the Old Testament. And he has, uh, he, when he used to telephone me, which was very frequently, uh, I would always call to my wife to go get my Bible because I knew he would want to be talking about some passage of Scripture. And he would always call attention uh, to something that was uh, unusual to me uh, but would be a valid and good insight into the scriptures. There is a famous passage in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 7. I won't read it all, but just a little bit of it so that you'll get the flavor of it. Beware, beware, uh, says Moses, under the commandment of God to the people of God, beware lest when thou hast eaten and are full, and thine heart be lifted up, that thou forget the Lord thy God. The other day I went uh, over to the Biltmore estate with a friend of mine, and uh, I wanted to show him, uh, he is from another country, and I wanted to show him something of the castle that was there. And we drove around in back of the castle and down to one of the little lakes that's close to the French Broad River, 
the leaves were all off the trees. And I'd been there this summer, and you couldn't see it from that particular location in the summer when the leaves were all on the trees. But now there's a magnificent view of the castle that wasn't there when the leaves were on the trees. And sometimes when we go through uh, the times when the leaves are off the trees, we can see more clearly. And so this is what uh, uh, Moses was wanting the people to remember, to beware lest uh, when the leaves are on the trees and they are full of everything that they need, that they cannot see nor remember the goodness and the mercy of God which led them out of bondage in Egypt and brought them uh, on their journey toward that promised land. Uh, what shall we do in the days of our prosperity when all our trees are in the full leaf? We need to pray. Prosperity is probably a greater test of success than adversity is. And that's why we need to pray all the more. I can remember seeing a man over at Appalachian Hall years ago who had invented a, a, a very unique instrument that is used in the textile in industry and had become a millionaire overnight with his own airplane and two pilots. He had been a Sunday school teacher and a superintendent of a Sunday school. But he told me himself, this was years ago, he told me himself of how he tried to impress everyone with the biggest house he could build and the biggest cars he could drive and the biggest parties he could throw. And gradually he forgot God. He left God out of his life. And then one day tragedy struck miserable and terrible in the murder of another man and the suicide of his wife and his own acute alcoholism. And it was all dust and ashes. And he had learned a lesson that he did not want anyone else to have to go through. And that was not to forget God when you are prosperous. And so Moses uh, warned the people in Deuteronomy, and then uh, this is called a Psalm of David here. And it begins and ends with, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all, notice the use of the word all, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Do you think about his benefits? We can't remember all of them, but we're not to forget, but we can remember some of them. Forget not all his benefits. Alexander White, who loved this psalm, was visiting one day in Edinburgh. He was a great Scottish preacher. And... Uh, uh, he went to a lady's house who was just one of those people who was very, very grumpy about everything. And she complained and complained and complained. And when he got ready, it was always his custom to cite a, a verse of Scripture and have a prayer. And he stood up and he said, And mind you, forget not all his benefits. <laughs> he wanted her to at least try to think of some benefit that she had received from the Lord. And what are some of these benefits that are listed? Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Think of that. Think of our sins. And think of the cost. The cost that came when we are forgiven. 
This has a New Testament flavor to it because it reminds us that the greatest gift we need is the gift of God of forgiveness, and that's grace. That's the only answer to guilt, and it can only come from God. All of the sacrifices were pointing to the one great sacrifice that would be made by Jesus Christ on the cross. And in John Bolton's bedroom in Palm Beach, there was a huge painting of Christ uh, on a cross that he kept there to remind him of the cost of his redemption. He told me once of a dream he had had of that cross and of a Roman soldier who was lashing the back of Jesus as he carried the cross toward Golgotha. And John Bolton, with his German background and his strong, vigorous nature, said, I was in the crowd and I rushed forward to grab that Roman soldier and to beat him with my fist for touching my Savior. And he said, when I caught hold of him and pulled him around and he looked at me, he said, I was that Roman soldier. I was laying upon the back of my Savior. Another bloody blow. And then he said it made me think of my own sins and want his forgiveness and to live a holy life. Forgiveness we need. It's the greatest miracle in the Bible. It's the greatest one because we need it the most. It's the greatest because it costs the most on that cross. And it's the greatest because it does the most good. When we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we obligate ourselves to let other people who have sinned against us go scot-free and to forgive them, just as we have to go to God every single day to ask him to forgive us for things which we have done. So we must show that kind of grace to other people as well, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who healeth all thy diseases. The measure of health that we have comes from God. We turn to him for healing. How many godly physicians have told me, I only dress the wounds. God does the healing. I only dress the wounds. God does the healing. The other day when I was home in Texas, um, Oral Roberts called out to my brother's house and got me on the phone. He asked me if I would come over to, uh, to his uh, school, and um, I told him I didn't feel very well. I'd fallen down a bunch of stairs, and <laughs> he said, well, I'll send an airplane for you that belongs to a friend of mine. It's a jet, and he said he'll be there in 20 minutes, and uh, he said, well, I'll have a wheelchair at the airport. He was determined for me to come, and uh, I said, okay, and so when I got there, I was touched by the fact that uh, he was concerned. Uh, first, we went aside into a place to pray. 
He told his secretary he didn't want anyone to bother. And he went through some things. He told, now, he's told these things on television, so I'm not saying anything I shouldn't. He told me about his son who had committed suicide, had gone away to the West Coast to a big university there, and uh, how in the midst of the environment that he was in there, he had uh, uh, gotten into uh, drugs, and he had married a person that was into this kind of activity, and they'd come back, and one thing led to another, and finally, in the madness of despair, he had taken his life. And as he told me this, tears came down his face. And he said, I blame myself. I blame myself. I could have done more. His daughter, Roberta, who was killed in a plane crash, and the little grandchildren that were left, the dissolution of his son's marriage. We went through these things. And I saw in him an, what seemed an older, wiser man, wanting desperately to do something that would last and that would live for God. And when we talked about the healing of all thy diseases, I couldn't help but think of the change that had taken place in his own ministry and the recognition of uh, the healing powers of medicine because of the medical school that had been put into operation there and is licensed and uh, fully meets all the requirements for a medical school. And we went over to the uh, hospital and he prayed for people and how he would ask them questions very gently, how he touched their hand, how he looked in their eyes, and then how he prayed, who healeth all thy diseases. And he showed me that big bronze statue out front of the hands, the healing hand. He said, notice one hand is higher than the other. That hand is reaching up to God. And he said, I'm concerned about cancer. He said, what strikes fear into most of the people that you know? And I said, anyone that I go to and they tell me they've got cancer, if uh, they are afraid. And he said, that's my experience, and the people here have kept on a computer the number of calls that we get of people who've got cancer. And I believe that the answer to it will only come when researchers humble themselves and pray to God for his answer and that God will lead us to a cure. And I was touched by that. I was touched by that, that hand that reaches up to God and recognizes that not of our own self can we do this. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction and who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle's. I am told that the eagle lives longer than any other bird. Uh, the Lord executes righteousness. This is another thing. The Lord is just, and he will bring justice to bear in places in the world that know no justice now. And it says he will bring justice and judgment for all who are oppressed. 
And that's a great comfort for us to remember. He has made way his uh, made known his ways unto Moses and his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful. He, he is painted here as merciful and slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide. That does not mean that he will not ever chide because sometimes he must chide with us. That means correct us when we do things that are wrong. Neither will he keep his anger forever. The Lord is angry at that which is sinful and evil and unjust and contrary to his commandments, which take place every day. And I'm sure in America, which has been so enormously blessed, he must be displeased with much that goes on in this land. The biggest, one of the biggest industries we have in America is the diet industry. Did you know that? We spend more money on dog food in America than we spend on baby food. That's interesting, isn't it? We even have low-calorie dog food. Metrical for dogs. Uh, this seems strange to people in other parts of the world, in third world countries who are going through great privation. And it won't always last this way. You can't have uh, a world that exists like this. Uh, it won't last. The nuclear freeze is just, uh, nuclear problem is just one problem. The distribution of food is a tremendous problem. There are so many hungry people in this world. I talked to one of our students from another land where many people starve to death. And she told me the first day she was in our cafeteria, right here, right over here in this cafeteria, that she picked up her plate to lick it. And the girl next to her said, no, don't do that. We don't do that here. And she said in her house, they selected who had the privilege of licking the plate. Yet we have so much. And are we thankful to God for it? What do we do with it? What are we going to do with it? He brings the answer if we are willing to submit ourselves to him in thankfulness, he will guide us in how we may meet these needs. He forgives. He brings healing. And I am thankful for those who work to promote healing. And uh, let me say this. I remember one lady that I was reading about this week who has a very painful case of, had a very painful case of arthritis, and she was saying to her pastor, why did God make me this way? And her pastor said to her, honey, God has not made you. He is making you. He is making you. He is teaching you something. And you can learn lessons. My friend in Tulsa the other day has suffered 
in a way that few people are called upon to suffer, but a way that could happen to any of us. And so it behooves us to remember the one who heals the broken in heart, who redeems us from our sins as we have talked about. Someone asked Mark Twain what the sweetest words in the English language were, and his reply is classic. He said the sweetest words in the English language are not guilty. <laughs> and that's right before God, too. And I wonder if, if we realize that. Just to be clear before God, if we were called to give our account to him, as our old friend yesterday is now before God, he crowns us with loving kindness and conclusion and tender mercies, loving kindness, not just kindness, but loving kindness, and tender mercies. Uh, notice that all God's kindness is loving kindness, and all his mercy is tender mercy. And he satisfies us. He alone can meet the hunger of our soul and our heart. G.K. Chesterton said years ago that the blank in man's heart is a God-shaped blank, and he is the one who will bring ultimately justice for all who are oppressed. This week when I wanted to see that thing on television about the blue and the gray because I've always been a Civil War buff. Yeah, uh, Abraham Lincoln was the one who, during the midst of that Civil War, did an interesting thing. He called on our nation for a day of prayer and humiliation, and then he called upon us because he wanted us to give thanks to God and he wanted to make it, and this was at a time when uh, uh, there was great suffering. This whole land suffered terribly. We've never suffered like we suffered in the Civil War. Uh, and then he designated the last Thursday in November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to Almighty God, the beneficent creator and ruler of the universe. And I further commend to my fellow citizens aforesaid that on that occasion they reverently assemble themselves and humble themselves in dust and offer up penitent and fervent prayer and supplication to the great disposer of events for a return of the inestimable blessings of peace and harmony throughout the land which it has pleased him to assign as a dwelling place for ourselves and for our generation. He knew how to say thank you to men and he knew how to say thank you to God as well. But you know why? Through suffering, he himself had come into a faith that he had not known before. And for Lincoln, God was not a cosmic blur. What do you think about when you think about God? He was not a parson's stock in trade. He was not simply a politician's benediction that he said. God was ultimate and personal. 
and a reality, and he made himself accessible to one who sought him out. And Lincoln said himself after Gettysburg that he came to know the Savior. And in the week prior to his assassination, he had made arrangements with a Presbyterian pastor to baptize him and hear his confession of faith on the Sunday. He was killed on Friday, and on that Sunday, he would have joined the church. It was Good Friday. Now then, all of this leads us to say this. We have much to be thankful for in every way. Thankful for all of the gifts that he has given to us. Thankful for the measure of health that he has given to us. Thankful for our redemption and the satisfaction that he brings. And thankful to the one who alone can bring meaning to life. Let us bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we bless you for your precious word, which has brought to us enough instruction to guide us in all that we are to believe concerning thee, and to know what duties you require of us as men and women to live for your glory. We thank you for a Savior who loved and kept your word and gave us other words through his own words and his apostles. We thank you that he gave us an example of thankfulness to you. Thankfulness in time of sorrow at Lazarus' tomb. Thankfulness when he was about to go to the cross. Thankfulness when he would take loaves and fishes and feed a hungry multitude. Thanking you in all circumstances. And so we would learn to thank you and praise you too in all of our trials and testings in life, whether the test be by adversity or by prosperity. And we pray that you will create within us humble hearts, hearts that realize that every good and perfect gift comes from you and that the best gift of all is the gift of salvation and that there is no one here who needs to go away without the Savior, because he has said, Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. And so we come. And for those who have not accepted him, we pray that you will take them to some place where they will indeed yield their lives to thee and seek further instruction in the faith that shall cause them to grow into what you wish them to become, grateful and thankful servants. Teach us the power of praise. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with us all, both now and forevermore.